The following message is made available by Truth For Life. For more information, visit us online at truthforlife.org. Nothing will be more significant in your credibility in your ministry than the way you do marriage. If you are married, if you are married, God has called you to do that well. And one of the hardest things, I think, for us to accept is the principle that marriage and ministry are not inherently in conflict, but are rather inherently complementary. Now, we want to think they're innately somehow contradictory, because if they are, then we've got an excuse. We say, well, you know, I mean, you, you can't help this. These things are, they, marriage and ministry are always tough. Well, it's true that they're always tough, but they're not contradictory. If God called you to marriage and he called you to ministry, there can be no inherent contradiction. In fact, if he called you to both of those things, they must and they can go together. Now, that doesn't mean there won't be difficulties. There will be times of struggle for balance, but those are seasonal or occasional. They are not intrinsic. If God has called you to ministry and to be married, he intends for both of these things to work together to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you just have to begin there and say, okay, Lord, you've called me to both these things. Now I need your Holy Spirit to show me how to do both of these in a way that is compatible and glorifying to the Lord Jesus Christ. And really what this means is how desperately we need the Holy Spirit. Uh, you know, the book of Proverbs has two verses that are sort of puzzling. Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5 say, Answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Now, here's the question. There's a time to not answer a fool. There's a time to answer a fool. How do I know when to apply which verse? Well, that's why we need the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Because there's wisdom in both responses, but we need to know when. And the same thing will be true in your marriage and your ministry. There will be times when you need to give attention to one more than the other, but that's why we desperately need the Holy Spirit. Uh, you are going to have times where there, there does seem to be a conflict. Again, I'm not going to, I'm, I'm arguing that the conflict is not intrinsic. It, it's something from the outside, not, the, not God's design, not the calling, but circumstances. The reasons for conflict, for instance, might be sin. I mean, there, not all conflict is a result of sin, but some of it is. Sometimes one of you, both of you, can be in sin. And if so, there needs to be acknowledgement, repentance, forgiveness, restoration. Sin can get in the way of the way you do ministry, the way you do marriage, the way you do both together. Sickness. Uh, sickness that comes in your life. I mean, what a challenge to be a pastor and then to, at the same time to have an illness yourself or your, your wife to have an illness that requires your care and you feel the intensity of having to care for a spouse while you're serving as a shepherd. Man, that, that's, that's going to be tough. There, 
you're certainly going to feel that conflict caused by sickness. Sorrows. Sorrows can be from the sin of others against you or the sin of others whom you love and feel responsible for. It can be sorrows because of what others in the church or in your family do to you. Uh, You know, I remember my son, Michael, I don't know if he's in here somewhere, but uh, I I see him over there. My Michael is 40 years old. I'm going to tell you something about Michael. Uh, Michael was the easiest child to parent I've ever seen. Uh, from the time we brought him home from the hospital, he slept all night and took four hour naps in the day. I'm not making this up. People think I'm making this up and exaggerate. He knew his colors by the time he was 13 months old. Uh, he, 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 I mean, he just, he had an incredible mind. He was the most verbal little boy I ever saw. And, uh, he was just easy. He was self-disciplined. We sometimes we'd come down. He'd get up in the morning before we would. He, you know, he, he'd fix his own breakfast. Tanya taught him how to put an egg in the microwave, and I mean, just unbelievable stuff. But sometimes I'd come down, and he'd be sitting in what we called the ugly chair, you know, the sort of timeout. And I'd say, uh, Michael, why are you in the ugly chair? He said, Well, you told me not to touch the stereo, and I touched it, so I put myself in the ugly chair. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, when, when it's been enough, you get up. Okay. <laughs> I remember thinking, I really need to write a book on parenting. Because all these other people are doing this wrong. You know, if, the, if they were just doing it like we did this, they'd get the same results we got. Then my second son was born. <laughs> and I said, this one's demon-possessed. I mean, he, he didn't sleep all night. I mean, he was challenging. He was willful. I mean, and suddenly all my theories about parenting just went out the window. And, uh, you know, I, I remember thinking that was the tough stage when they were little. Oh, and then they grew up, right? And then it was challenging. I mean, there will, there's nothing that will quite get you off your game like your older kids or your adult kids when they're out of the will of God and that lays heavy on your heart, that can affect your marriage. It can certainly affect your ministry. And we can't forget that the Word of God gives your church the right to examine your home. Now, you can't resent that. God says that if you aren't leading well at home, you shouldn't be leading in the church either. And so there's only one way for them to know that, that's to observe and to ask. And uh, that's that's a challenge. And there are going to be seasons where it's intensive. You're having to pay a lot of attention to your kids. Uh, You're rearing them. If they're out of the will of God, stepping in, trying to do what you can to correct them, encourage them. Uh, And and that, that can be, it can cause sorrow in your life. I mean, a lot of the time, I'm talking to pastors, one of the main problems they face is adult children who are out of the will of God. Many of you in this room, I am absolutely confident, have been through that kind of a sorrow that can affect the balance in ministry and marriage. Uh, and, but then there are just say, seasons of life. Seasons change. Uh, 
your the seasons of your marriage, the seasons of your ministry, all of that changes and there's an ebb and a flow to it. I'm acknowledging that all of those things can bring difficulty in the balance between marriage and ministry. They, it's a moving target. It's not the same all the way through life. You've, you've got to attenuate things to get the balance. So I, I'm acknowledging that can be hard. But I believe that there's always a way to honor God. Let me begin by saying this. I think you really need to have the right kind of prayer life about your marriage and your ministry. And here's the one thing I want to urge you to pray. And that is, Holy Spirit, would you glorify Jesus in my marriage? Make that your number one prayer. Don't pray to have a happy marriage. Don't pray to have... uh, you know, a marriage that is fulfilling and satisfying and romantic and sexually fulfilling and satisfying. All of those are good goals, but they have to be secondary to the one goal, the primary goal of bringing glory to Jesus Christ. And it's the one prayer that you can pray that God will never say no to. If you pray, Holy Spirit, help me bring glory to Jesus in my marriage. There's no circumstance in which the Holy Spirit would say, no, I'm not interested in that. Because that is his primary job. If you pray for a happy marriage, that's not the ministry of the Holy Spirit. If you pray for a fulfilling marriage, that's not his primary task. But when you pray, help me bring glory to Jesus, that's when the Holy Spirit says, now, is, is that what you really want? Because if that's what you really want, I will help you do that. And that does not mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's happy. But the Holy Spirit will help you bring glory to the Lord Jesus. Make that your primary prayer. And then go about the task of doing your marriage well to the degree that you can control. Now, I want to acknowledge something here. There are two people in a marriage. And York's number one rule of human behavior in life is you cannot change another human being cannot do it and if you've been married very long you know that Uh, you know a lot of times we go into marriage with some dissatisfaction about the other person but thinking oh we'll get them there yeah good luck with that this is not the way that works you can't change another human being and by the way you don't want her trying to change you right only god can change a, a heart so you have to go into this saying, okay, I'm going to control what I can control, which is me. And you have the word of God. You have the spirit of God. You have the salvation in Jesus Christ that God has given you. And you've got to bring all of that to bear on your marriage. Let's just acknowledge marriage is hard. You take two broken, sinful, depraved human beings put them together in a house and say now be happy it just isn't easy that brokenness is going to come out uh your sinfulness is going to come out and you really need the the grace of god to do this so you can't change her 
you can't make her be what you want her to be. You can't make her do the things that you think she needs to do. Give up on the goal of changing her and submit yourself and what you can control to the Holy Spirit in your marriage. And here's some goals that I, I want to encourage you to have, some things that I think you need to have in your, your marriage, uh, things that you need to share. Because marriage and ministry means sharing things, not compartmentalizing and quarantining. I think a lot of times we, what we want to do is have different areas of life. Like here's my ministry life. Here's the way I'm at church with my people. Here's my married life. Here's the way I'm at home with my wife, with my children. If you're bivocational, here's the way I'm at work, my, my work life. Huh? That never works. Uh, and in fact, I think that's contrary to the will of God. What does the Lord Jesus want? He wants to be Lord of every aspect of your life. And the degree to which you compartmentalize things and don't see them all under the umbrella of his lordship is the degree to which you're going to experience frustration and failure in your life. There's going to be a gap between what you know you ought to be doing and what you're actually living. And that, I call that, that, that gap between the sky of our intentions and the hard earth of our actual performance, I call that the misery zone. And, and you're going to be miserable to the degree that you're not living up to the things that you know you ought to be doing. So you've got to bring it all under the Lordship of Christ. Say, okay, Lord, every bit of my life is surrendered to you. I, I want you to use me. And that means I need to be constantly reminded of these things. That my ministry is not a separate area from my marriage, my family, my work. It all belongs to you. So what you need to do is basically to get with your wife and say, here, here are the things that I think we need to share. This can be hard if you've been married a long time because you, you're, you, you know, you're sort of like in the old American West in the days when uh, wagon trains would go across the Great Plains. And especially after the spring rains, the ground would be soft and these wagons would, would cut ruts in the earth. And then as the summer progressed, they would get hardened. And uh, they, somebody put up a sign one time where these ruts had been cut. Wagon trains were crossing. It said, choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 20 miles. Because once you're in it, you couldn't get out of it. It was so deep. And that can happen in our marriages. We can get in a rut where we've established unhealthy uh, characteristics, unhealthy practices, the way we relate to each other. And if you've done that, there's, there's no substitute for repentance and just saying to her, we need to do a reset. I've not been doing some things right. I need your forgiveness. Here, here are the goals, the things that I think we need share in our ministry. All right, number one, shared values. Shared values. You know, you can be married to somebody who's different ethnicity from you, originally spoke a different language. Uh, they got different skin color. They're from a different culture. You can overcome that. But the one thing you can never overcome is if you have different core values. The, the most basic things in life, uh, the things that matter to you the most, 
have to be shared or really there's there's just going to be a huge gap between you and of course if we're in ministry the shared value of course is the salvation we have in the lord jesus christ the love of christ love for one another uh we have the value of respect for one another. You cannot fall into that, you know, I'm the pastor syndrome, where sometimes you're playing that card to your wife, well, I'm the man of God. You know, touch not the Lord's anointed. <laughs> if, if, if there's a theological term for a guy who says that to his wife, it's a jerk. You know, the minute you start quoting verses to your wife to get her in line, you've already lost the battle. Uh, you know, you need, to, you need to be the kind of person that she wants to be on the same page with. So you talk about respect, uh, the shared value of oneness, that w- this one flesh principle that we really are one. It's no longer me and you, but we truly are in this together. The shared values of our convictions. You know, you can disagree on certain things. You know, you might be a five-pointer and she's a four-pointer. You can live with that, right? But you can't live with one of you wanting to follow Christ and the other one not. That, that's, that's just going to be a major gap. You've got to have the shared values, love, respect, oneness, convictions, sacrifice, that the good of the marriage is worth individual sacrifices, and you're both willing to sacrifice for the other one, uh, that no one feels used or defrauded or taken for granted or taken advantage of. You have shared convictions secondly and i I say this delicately but it but biblically shared bodies i'm talking about the biblical value of complete surrender to the mutual goodness of shared intimacy and mutual fulfillment marriage is unlike any other relationship my wife, Tanya, is an amazing Bible teacher. Uh, you, you, if you look at the videos that are posted on Buck Run's, uh, our YouTube channel, the hits on the classes she teaches are far above any, the hits on anything I've ever preached or taught. She gets more views than anything we put up that I teach and preach. It's a good thing I'm a secure man. Uh, she's she's just an amazing Bible teacher, and uh, you know I, I I can enjoy that everybody else shares an appreciation for Tanya's teaching. She can uh, enjoy that people appreciate my Bible teaching. We have friendships, fellowship. You can appreciate that she's a good cook, all those things. But there's one thing that we share only with one another. And that is sexual intimacy. And that's off limits to every other relationship, every other person. That is something to be shared only between the two of us. There, there's a sacred wall that God has built around the physical relationship. 
And this is a good and healthy thing. Uh, that sexual relationship, its purpose is not to provide a release for me. Its primary purpose is not to keep me pure. That might be a secondary benefit. It is not its primary benefit. And it's about oneness. It's about mutual satisfaction and joy. It's not even, I would argue, it's, it's not primarily about procreation. Read the Song of Solomon. There's not one word in the Song of Solomon about having babies. Uh, and yet, there God gives us, I mean, to think out of the 66 books of the Bible, one of them is devoted primarily to the sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife. There's nothing in there about procreation. It's about this mutual intimacy, sort of within what we call our enchanted cottage. That, uh, you know, you get older, life changes, your body changes, everything changes. I don't look like I did when we got married. I was 21. She doesn't look like she did when we got married. She was 20. You know, a lot has changed. One thing that has not changed is we love each other. We're submitted to the Lordship of Christ. And here's the, here's the great benefit is that God designed this so that as we go through these stages of life together, we can actually enjoy aging. We can, we can enjoy each other. Now, I need to step out of this for just a moment to say a word because one of satan's great attacks on intimacy and marriage is the ubiquitous nature of pornography in our day Uh, it is i'm convinced one of the reasons that the world has gone headlong into this sexual revolution is that uh, our boundaries have been completely eroded by pornography just to be real candid, uh, when I was a teenager, when I was a boy, pornography was pretty much print media. Uh, you know, I might find my neighbor's magazines in his garage or something, but you, you actually had to go somewhere to get pornography. You, you actually had to go to some trouble to get it, some expense. You had to risk being seen somewhere. There were a whole lot of natural barriers to being involved with pornography. Well, all that's gone. Uh, Now pornography is ubiquitous. It's wherever you are. It's available 24-7. And it is crippling our relationships, our, uh, even at the seminary. Southern seminary, no different from any other seminary. Don't hear what I'm saying as a Southern seminary problem. It is a it is a problem for all men. But I talk to seminary students who tell me they've been addicted to pornography, pornography since they were eight years old. Because parents are letting their kids have cell phones with no restrictions. Uh, they've bought into this thing that children are to have privacy and agency. Uh, hear me say, that's not so. Uh, do not give your child a cell phone and not look at it and say, don't, you've got to put boundaries on that, restrictions, put whatever kind of filters you need on it. I preached this at Buck Run one Sunday and sort of rebuked parents if they've done that and said, you need to look and see what your, what your kids are looking at. 
what's happening to them because that is a window into their lives and a doorway. One of, one of the members of our church went home that afternoon, got their 14-year-old cell phone and saw that he had been being sexually abused by a 70-year-old man for two years. Pornography was the doorway that this man had used to get this young man uh, hooked and then sexually abused him. And there was a record of it on his phone. Now, the guy went to prison, but that young man's life was altered forever. And I'm telling you, it, it is a horrible thing. And furthermore, I want to recommend to you a video that you, you need to watch. It's not a Christian video. It's on YouTube. It's a TED Talk called The Great Porn Experiment. It's, it's a sociologist simply talking about, his name's Gary Wilson, and he talks about what pornography does to the male brain. And you need to see it. You need to see this tool of Satan for what it is and the way Satan uses this to absolutely disrupt God's design. The ironic thing is that when a guy gets addicted to pornography, especially a young man, he can become completely impotent. And uh, it takes, even if he goes cold turkey, Gary Wilson says in that video, like a young man in his 20s that goes if he gets addicted to pornography, becomes impotent as a result of it, because of the neuroplasticity of his brain, it can take five months for him to be able to sexually function again. Now look, when we first went to Southern Seminary, Tanya would teach the Southern Seminary, uh, Seminary Wives Institute class on marriage and family. At the end of the semester, she lets wives submit questions. 25 years ago, number one question submitted was, my husband just wants to have sex all the time. How can I either tone him down or match his level of desire? Number one question she got asked, about 30, 40% of the questions submitted would be some variation of what I call the frisky seminary student question. <laughs> Fast forward about 15 years, beginning about 10 years ago, Guess what the number one question is? Now, it's over half the questions submitted will be some variation of this. My husband never wants to have sex. What can I do to get him interested? Now, you tell me what happened in those 15 years. I think we all know what happened. Pornography became free on the Internet, and young men started getting addicted from a very young age there's just something desperately wrong with a young man in his 20s who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ who cannot express sexual interest in his wife who has a desire for him. And Satan just must stand back and laugh at us because we fall prey to this. You do whatever you need to do to be pure. Jesus said, get radical with this. He said, if you need to pluck out an eye or chop off a hand, you do it. So I'm pretty sure he's okay with you getting rid of your computer. Uh, you do whatever you need to do. You say, well, I, 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 I have to have a computer for my job. Right now, if I were to come to your house, you tell me how your computer is set up. Is it down in the back corner of the basement with your screen to the wall? So you have plenty of time to see who's coming in there, you know, and to blank your screen or to, to change it or something 
Or do you have it right up there where anybody walking by, you can look what you're looking at? Have you given your wife passwords to your accounts? Do you let her look at your browser and see what you're looking at? Now, I'm telling you, you better get radical about purity and holiness because Satan is a thief and a liar and he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And you cannot claim that you want to be a, a, a pastor, a shepherd of others when you've got this, this sin that is so persistent in your life that you think somehow, you, you know, you, you buy into the lie well, this is better than committing physical adultery. That's not a choice you get to make. You choose holiness. I'll be the first to admit, maybe the consequences aren't as, as horrendous as physical adultery, but it's still a denial of the Lord who bought you with his blood. You need to be holy and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be real plain here and blunt. Uh, I hope I don't offend you, but if I do, you come up to me later and I'll let you apologize. And <laughs> I've been married to my wife for 42 years. And I'm telling you, when she takes off her clothes in front of me, it's still an event. You know Why? Because that is the one female body I get to look at and desire. And man, I'm going to take advantage of that. <laughs> I, I, am, I am happy that my heart is so fixed on her. Uh, I, I celebrate it. You know, I'm, I'm glad we're going through the same stages of life together. I don't need her to look like she did when she was 20 years old. I just need her to be mine. I need to be hers. I'm not asking her to fulfill something in me. I'm saying, let's do this together. Let's glorify God in our hearts, in our bodies, in every single way. We are both completely surrendered to the mutual goodness of shared intimacy and mutual fulfillment. Listen, men, I think recently in the last few years, we've been made more aware that sometimes in the ministry, we've acted like uh, our wives' duty is to keep us pure by their sexual surrender to us. Again, I'm not saying that that's not a secondary benefit, but I'm saying that's not her purpose nor responsibility. You don't ever get to use her sin as an excuse for your sin. And so you, you can't control her. Maybe your wife is not as responsive to you as she should be. Okay, you be holy anyway. You honor the Lord anyway. You do what's right anyway. And you just have to have a resolve, Lord, I'm, I'm yielded to you. I want you to be glorified in my body. Even if my wife is not what she should be, what I wish she were, I'm going to treat her as though she already were, what I would love her to be, and I'm going to honor you regardless of whether she's responsive to me or not because Jesus deserves it. You have a much greater likelihood that your wife will be responsive if you still treat her kindly, tenderly, lovingly, in spite of the way 
she responds to you. It's just the right thing to do. You don't get to sulk. You don't get to berate her. You don't get to diminish, demean her, to make her feel guilty. What you get to do is honor the Lord Jesus Christ anyway. And if the two of you say, we want to honor the Lord with this, we want to honor one another, you know, it it might be that the Lord will restore something that's been lost in your marriage, but it's got to be because you want to glorify him, not because of your own need for gratification and fulfillment. Number three, shared ministry. I think we as men frequently say, uh, you know, the ministry is my part. You take care of the home fires while I am the pastor and all that. Now, look, nobody's confused at Buck Run about who the pastor is. Tanya is not a pastor. Nobody calls her pastor. But it is also true that she does very much participate in my shepherding. Not in the leadership part. You know, she's not going to show up at a deacon's meeting or a pastor a pastor's meeting. Uh, but you know what? She's very much a part of just the everyday walking through life with people. She spots when people are sort of wayward and says to me, oh, we need to go out to eat with them. We, you, oh, you need to call them. You know, let's just make sure we give them a little bit of a, a touch. Let's give them some of our time. I know this is a terrible analogy, but I call her my sheepdog. And I mean it in the best possible way. <laughs> Have you seen sheepdogs work? Have you seen the movie Babe? Oh, it's, oh you know, it's great. But a sheepdog, man, it, a sheepdog sees those sheep going this way. And what does it do? It runs out there and pulls them back. And it runs around here. And they, they know how. And Tanya, boy, she's got an eye for that. She sees people drifting. And she just pulls them back in. Uh, she's just joyful. Listen, your marriage will either expand your ministry or it will diminish your ministry, but it will never be neutral. It will never be neutral. At Buck Run, every year we have a marriage retreat. We go to Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. We rent out a hotel, 150 couples go. And you know, I feel bad, Tony and me leading the thing every year. So I thought, well, every other year we'll have somebody else come in. And I tried to bring in some of the best marriage speakers. Guess what happened to the attendance the years we had guests come? It would drop. Why aren't you guys coming? Like, we want to hear you and Tanya. I'm like, yeah, we're saying the same thing every year. Yeah, but we see your marriage. See, my credibility at Buck Run is just so greatly expanded by my marriage and people see the way I love my wife the way she loves me the way we go through life together the way we seek to honor each other and honor the Lord and listen to me I want you to know something Tanya and I are real people oh we we are both passionate about what we believe we are both opinionated I guess what I'm trying to say is we fight <laughs> we fight um uh, one of the worst days of my life. You remember when the uh, eclipse occurred, 2017? My mom lives in Western Kentucky, 
and it was going to be totality eclipse down in Princeton, Kentucky, where mom lived. It was like, that was directly overhead, total darkness. Uh, and so we, we drove down to Western Kentucky to see it at my mom's. And when it was over, I knew the Western Kentucky Parkway, which is hardly ever any traffic on it, I knew it was going to be a parking lot because hundreds of thousands of people had gone to Western Kentucky to see the eclipse. And I was like, let's hurry up and get in the car and go. She said, okay, just a minute. I'm going to go in and say goodbye. And I'm like, what? She goes in and she says goodbye. And 30 minutes later, she comes out. And I'm like, I am fuming. I'm like, I cannot believe you. You do this. And, of course, she's trying to be kind and gracious, not look to everybody else like she cares more about the traffic than them. And she's like, what? Boy, we got into it. The, the trip home was normally three hours. It was eight hours. And we were mad the whole time. <laughs> whole time. I mean, just fuming. She's crying. And she did, I, you know, she says I do this thing. She calls it chest bumping. I would never lay a hand on her, not physical, but it's intimidating. And she was feeling that. We got home, and, you know, finally we could be out of the car with one another, and she, she said, I want to tell you something. She said, you don't treat me like the weaker vessel. You treat me like the lesser vessel. It cut me to my heart. And I said, well, there's no excuse for that. I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And man, I made a decision that day, I will never do this again. And by God's grace and being my helper and me just calling on him sometimes, because we, we still have those moments, but I, I'm just like, she's an heir with me of the grace of life. I don't have the right to make her feel lesser. And she's a part of my ministry. She's an important part of my ministry. I want her to feel included. I value her opinion on everything in my ministry, from my preaching, my leadership, the way I disciple others. I am by nature a loner. Um... She calls me on that. No, last night she talked to me. Are you spending time with people at that conference or are you disappearing between sessions? Oh, baby, I'm, I'm talking to people. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. On Sundays when I preach, I'm waiting to hear her review. Boy, it's a long ride home and she's quiet, you know? And I'm like, well, you're not saying anything. She goes, mm, for anybody else, that would be a good sermon. It's just that I know what you're capable of. What a lovely way to say, that was a terrible sermon. <laughs> Look, she's such an important part of my ministry. God, God called me to ministry and he gave me her to do ministry with. How else can I see that? There's no quarantining. There's no compartmentalizing. She's in it. She's part of it. And we've got shared ministry in the word, in prayer. We pray together every day. We pray together at night. 
she challenges me in the things she prays for. You know, I'm, I don't know if you've read Robert Alter's translation of the Old Testament. Robert Alter is a Jew uh, and a very old man now. He's in his late 80s. His, I, I have been blessed by his translation of the Old Testament like I cannot describe to you. You want to read my review of that? You can look it up on the TGC website. Uh, just Google my name and Robert Alter and it'll come up. I love it. It's impacted my life. It troubles me that I'm, I'm so blessed by a guy who doesn't even know my Savior. One day we're praying and Tanya said, Lord, save Robert Alter. What? You can't pray that. Every day for the last six months, we pray for the salvation of Robert Alter. You know what? Uh, a couple of months ago, he spoke at Biola, and my friend Matt Hall sent me a picture of him and Robert Alter together. And I went, well, he's, at least he's with Christians. And, I, man, we're praying. That's my wife. My wife's faith showing me, man, you, you, you pray. You, you pray for God to do amazing, miraculous things. Boy, I'm grateful for a wife like that. And shared grace in hurts. You're going to get gut punched in the ministry sometime. And you need somebody to go through that with you so you can find solace in each other's arms and not take it out on the people who hurt you. And we talk through it. We don't lash out at people. Um, a few years ago, well, it's been many years ago now, more than 25 years ago, I had a horrible situation at a church I pastored and came under attack. It, it blew me away. I'd never, I'd never had my integrity questioned before, really, or since by church members, but that time I did. And uh, I, I, one Sunday morning, the, my deacons came up, la, came up front, lined up across the front of the, con- the, the sanctuary and rebuked the congregation for questioning my integrity. And I was grateful for deacons who would do that, but I was embarrassed that they had to. You know what I'm saying? That, you know, we, we tried to explain to the church the situation, but there were things I could not tell. It involved personnel matters and people's lives. And, and, and I was asking the church, you, you need to trust me with the details of this because I can't tell you everything. And they were like, yeah, but we don't. Boy, and it hurt. That night, she took Michael and Seth. They were young. She took them on up the street. We lived right up the street from the church. And she took them home. And I stood around trying to answer people's questions. And I chose simply never to defend myself and just going to let them say what they did. And I took it. I went home and I, I wasn't sure I could take it anymore. I walked in the back door, collapsed in my lazy boy. And I was sitting there in that chair thinking, I'm not sure I can go in tomorrow morning. I think I might be done here. When at that moment, she walked through the doorway of the den with a big pan of warm soapy water and she knelt at my feet she said I want to wash your feet 
She began to take off my, my shoes and my socks, and she said, you are God's man, and you are my man. And your character never shines more brightly than when it is under attack and you let God be your defender. And I know you better than anyone, and I know your character, and I would follow you anywhere. And suddenly I could whip the world. I was ready to go back in the next day. And in that moment, she gave me back my ministry. I need her as a part of my ministry. I want to do that for her. She got COVID. 2021 she's had a brain fog ever since lost her smell lost a lot of her confidence about speaking my job to build her up pour into her to love her well because we share one other thing and that's the resolve to finish well We see people get cranky as they get older. You know what? When I was 30 years old, pastor of a church, old people come to me and go, you don't care anything about the old people. Now I'm 63, the the old people come to me and go, you don't care anything about the old people. (laughs) It doesn't even help that I'm one of them now. I just go, you know, they're just cranky old people. And Tony and I look at each other and go, let's not do that. Let's not do that. We've already planned our transition out of the pastorate at Buck Run. They've already called my senior associate, Chris Parrish, as my successor. In January, I'm going to preach the doxology of Romans 16. I'm going to be done. And Chris will be the senior pastor. And we look at each other and we go, let's do this well. We were recently with a retired pastor and his wife, and the wife was just griping and groaning at how terrible it is. We got back to our hotel, Tanya looked at me, she said, I will not do that. I will not do that. We're resolved we're going to finish well, because Jesus is worth it. We want to pour our life into pastors and their wives, and man, we want to be happy and joyful. I don't want to be the old guy going, hey, you kids, get off the grass. (laughs) If sanctification is a progressive work, shouldn't we get sweeter? Shouldn't we be more like our Savior? I need her. Help me do that. I want to help her do that. We need each other. As long as we're both alive on this earth, we share everything ministry our bodies our thoughts our prayers our values our convictions because there's no contradiction between being called of God as a minister and being called of God to be a husband I'll uh, entertain some questions
Got mics? It looks like I answered them all. Good. Yeah, thank you. That was great. Uh, Not every pastor's wife would be actively involved in the ministry, perhaps. So how would you address that? Okay, thank you. Listen, here's what I, I would say to any pastor and his wife. I would say there is a lot about personality that comes into play. And I think the same way, part of dwelling with your wife according to knowledge, which is what we're called to do, is knowing what she's comfortable with. Not every wife wants to teach. You know, I remember when Tanya and I first got married, she felt terrible that she couldn't play the piano. I'm like, I don't need you to play the piano. Yeah, but pastors wife play the piano. Well, I'm, <laughs> I don't need that. I'm good. I think it would be as silly to expect every pastor's wife to teach like Tanya does as it would be to expect Tanya to play the piano. That's just, you know, there's gifting, there's personality, there's desire. All those things come into play. I do think that a a pastor's wife should be involved doing all the things we expect our members to do. I think worship attendance, that's a non-negotiable to me. Uh, I, I mean, for every Christian, especially a pastor's wife. And I would explain, darling, that undermines my ministry if you don't do what we're asking every, every church member to do. But it doesn't mean she has to be a platform personality. She doesn't have to be an upfront person. She does need to be faithful, and she needs to support you and be involved in your ministry. So, you know, uh, again, don't, don't expect your wife to be someone she's not and uh, make demands on her. But I do think part of shared ministry is saying, okay, what are the things that you are comfortable doing that honor the Lord and are a part of my ministry? And, uh, and it's okay. She doesn't need to be platform person, but she needs to be faithful. And I would express incredible gratitude to her for her faithfulness in whatever way she shows it. Does that help? Dr. York, you said um, something about sharing the grace and hurts, you know, even at time when sometimes maybe people had attacked you. And at other times I've had people kind of give counsel of shielding your wife from opportunities, maybe to sin by having bitterness or retaliation. How do you how do you navigate both of those and try to walk with discernment? And again, I think there's a function of personality here. Uh, again, dwelling with your wife according to knowledge means knowing her. What is for her good? I'm a really straight to the punchline kind of guy. And so when Tanya and I first got married, I don't, I don't necessarily say everybody should do this, but on our very first date, I laid out for Tanya what I thought God was doing with my, with my life and said, are you okay with that? And she said, I'm in. And 13 days later, we bought the rings. It was just amazing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was whirlwind, and it was fast, and it was hot, and it still is, you know. So, <laughs> all that. But I said to her, when we first got married, I said, look, I'm going to feel free to share things with you unless, A, you tell me not to, or, B, you ever betray a confidence. And if you do, uh, if you betray a confidence, I'm not going to get mad. I'm not going to be upset. I'm just not going to tell you anything. 
That's 42 years ago. She's never once betrayed a confidence. She does real well handling stuff. She doesn't get mad at the people who hurt me. She doesn't try and lash out. Uh, That's part of her personality. And again, without giving away too much, my wife grew up in an abusive home. She learned to handle an awful lot of stuff. Uh, So, you know, I'm... There are times I just think I don't need to tell her this just because I know it's a weight on her, but she doesn't need to know it. There's no, no solution to it. So I don't tell her, but uh, I feel free to, but sometimes I just simply don't because I think, oh, that's, she doesn't need to know that. That'll be too heavy. But if your wife, and again, this isn't, this is, don't hear me say that this is something women do. This is, men do it too. This personality stuff. But if your wife is a person that finds it hard to keep confidence, okay, then don't, don't put stuff on her that would be hurtful for her if she told it. If, if, if it's hard for her not to hold a grudge, don't put stuff on her where it's hard for her to hold a grudge. You need to know her and don't put on her something that's too hard for her to bear, something that would undermine her sanctification. Does that make sense? Thank you. A simple question. What was the title of the TED Talk you mentioned earlier? It's called, the TED Talk is called The Great Porn Experiment by Gary Wilson. I'll tell you something. I I learned more about it. He talks about a study they did about porn at a university. They actually went to university and they wanted to do a, a study between a group of young men that looked at pornography and its effect on them compared with a group of young men that didn't. And they went to this university, and the problem was they could not find anybody for the control group of those who did not look at it. Not one. Now, what he doesn't tell on that video, it was a Christian university. Yeah. So, again, this, that, that, that video is probably at least 10 years old. Information on it is still good, if anything, we know more. But it's not a Christian video, even though I'm, I think he might be a Christian sociologist. He, he doesn't go at it that way. He just talks about the, the nefarious effects of it. And you, you need to watch it and just see what it does. It's very helpful. Thank you. One more. We've got time. This is, I think, wrapping up at 345. Last yeah, one. I'm afraid my question might be redundant now. You spoke to shielding the wife from certain information. My question was more about shielding the wife from certain burden. Um, my wife is also an excellent sheepdog. She loves my yeah. church family as much I'll tell as her you said that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I hope she won't tune into the broadcast. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, there's there's the burden of decision yeah, making, there but there's also the partnership. Can you speak to the tension there? Well, I, uh, yes, there is tension, and again, a lot depends on what else she has going on. So we're empty nester. It's a different thing for my wife doing this after 40 years of doing it, and our kids are grown. And, you know, if you've got a house full of kids, you know, that's another thing to put on her. That may not be good. You can still involve her in ministry without that kind of stuff. So there's a maturity. uh, I mean, just like we as ministers mature, our wives mature in ministry with us. And so, yeah, that all needs to come into play. And you don't want to you don't want to put heavy burdens on her that she doesn't want to bear. It's not helpful for her to bear. Again, that's a season of life. You need to be aware of what season of life you're in, her personality, and just the the effects it can have on her. All that comes into play about 
dwelling with her according to knowledge. Which, by the way, if you hear this theme over and over, do you get from what I'm saying and what the Scripture says, one of your primary jobs in life is to be a student of your wife? To study her, to see what she can handle, to know what she wants, she desires. And men, uh, to, to really try and set her up for success as your wife, as a mom, as a minister wife, and all those ways. But you really have to know her and, and make the best decision. I don't believe anybody, myself included, should just tell them everything because I don't think that's for their good. You know, she's not getting paid for it. I am. But she's not. And why, why would I put everything on her? I, I include her to the degree that I think, A, she wants to be included, and B, that uh, it's helpful to her and to the ministry. Hey, thanks so much for this afternoon and allowing me to share with you. May God bless you with it. I think we're done. You've been listening to a message from Truth For Life. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Truth For Life. This content has been provided to you free of charge by the generous supporters of Truth For Life. For additional information about how you can support Truth For Life, please visit us online at truthforlife.org. There you'll find free message downloads from Alistair Begg, as well as links to our podcast, mobile apps, and other resources to help you grow in your Christian faith. Again, the website is truthforlife.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay in touch with Truth For Life and Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, where the learning is for living.